BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. As a parent, do you ever wish someone could just whisper some realistic and trustworthy support in your ear and not make you feel awful for not having all the answers? Well, that's what I'm here for. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, developmental psychologist, parent educator, clinical professor, and I'm a mom. My goal is to make your parenting journey less overwhelming and a lot more joyful. Please join me every Friday for new episodes of Raising Good Humans. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostess, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. So today's guest is quite an amazing one. She was actually recommended by my manager, Sam, because she has such an incredible story. And I think that everyone really needs to hear it. So I was like, okay, okay. And, you know, things got busy and all of a sudden now here we are months later and I am sitting with that girl so she can tell her story and so that we can all learn from it. This is the first time I will be hearing it firsthand. So all reactions will be genuine and I'm just really excited to dive in. So please welcome Fallon. Thank you. I already forgot how to pronounce her last name. (laughs) Uh, Fallon Farinacci. Fallon Farinacci. Okay. So you are from St. Catharines? Yes. Originally from out west. I grew up in Manitoba. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Is Manitoba out west? Yes. Yeah. I kind of thought it was like in the middle. Well, in the, sorry, for me, I've grown up saying okay, out it's west. It's west to how we are. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Does that mean it's Midwest? Uh, yeah. I okay. feel like most of the time that's what it's kind of referred to as. I failed geography in high school. That's okay. That's who I am. <laughs> anyway, so you are a lot of things. You're a speaker, you're an advocate, and I don't want to give away all of it, but I just really want you to tell your story and explain how it's all happened that you are who you are today and what it is that you do. Okay. So (laughs) I grew up in uh, rural Manitoba in a community of 300 people. What? Oh, Mm -hmm. everybody knew everything. Everyone knew everything. Everyone knew everyone. Oh, cool. Uh, It's a really close-knit community. It's predominantly Métis. So I, um, I'm Métis. So my indigenous culture is Soto or Anishinaabe. And French. 
oh, wow. These mm-hmm. are words, besides French, those are new words for me. I've never even heard that before. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. So Métis is um, from my father's side of the family. Okay. My father was a very proud Métis man. He um, was involved in our community. He was the president of our Southwest Métis Federation. Okay. Uh, just to give you like a little bit of our community, right? Yeah. So I grew up there. I was born there. I lived there until I was nine years old. I now live in St. Catharines. I've lived most of my life in St. Catharines yep. now. So I'll just jump right in, uh, mm-hmm. tear the Band-Aid off. At nine years old, it was just before my ninth birthday in November of 1992, my mother was threatened from a man that we all knew. So, What kind of a threat was it? He told her that she would not live to see her next birthday. So Jeez. what happened was my mother according to newspaper articles, had inherited this man from my father. So my father grew up with him. He was known as like the town bully. Um, I don't know why he was ever given that name. But anyway, so my father knew him. So Mm -hmm. did my mother. And he became obsessed with my mom. Uh, So it was his birthday and my mother missed it because she was actually celebrating a co-worker's birthday. Okay. And so he literally called our house and told her that. So then that night, my mother filed a police report and they got a restraining order against him. Okay. Okay. So that evening he was charged, but he was also released the same night. I guess because they wouldn't really have something to hold him on beyond a threat, right? Right. Yeah. So he had a criminal record of eight different charges previously, all different. Okay. One was with a weapon, which was a knife, but then the others were not. They were all driving offenses, uh, alcohol-related as well. Okay. So then fast forward, and sorry, I should say that same night, my mother did tell the police that he had a twenty-two caliber, and she thought he had a handgun as well. Okay. Um, Then fast forward to— She was scared, essentially. Yeah, genuinely scared. Okay. So then December, my mother actually wrote, I don't know what it is, 92 being in the country. She wrote a handwritten note to the RCMP to let them know that he had a 22 caliber mm-hmm. and a handgun, or she thought he had a handgun again, because I think it might have been brought up to someone else to her. So she was still feeling the threats. In the meantime, they're going through all the proceedings, right, for court. Yeah. Keep in mind, he like literally lived a street or two older Yeah, in a town of 300 people, I mean, this is basically your neighborhood. Yeah, there's there's nothing nothing. else. It's a church, a corner store, an elementary school, not even Mm -hmm. a high school in that town. Wow. Yeah. So now we're going into January. They have court date set for January 26th. My mother does not go to it. We don't know what the story is behind that. For sure. It was a mediation day. And then he was really upset that night. In the meantime, a week prior to that, the system had failed and my mother received his letter for mediation and he received my mother's. Oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, that does seem like a massive failure. So anything anyone said about one another, the other person read. Oh my gosh. So just put her in more danger. Mm -hmm. So just after midnight on January 27th, he knocked on our door. Supposedly he walked there, but no one can say for sure. Yeah. 
Sorry. No, it's okay. I know um, you're, you're shaking a little, right, but I can't I imagine you're, I'm like, I can't, we, nobody can hear the shaking. Okay, so don't good. even worry. <laughs> so uh, he knocked on our door and my older brother uh, opened it. His friend was supposed to come over. Okay. And so my brother opened the door and he put the gun to my brother's stomach and told him not to yell and to go into the basement. So he entered our home just after midnight. Okay. Uh, he took my brother into the basement. He tied him up. And then for about an hour and a half to two hours, he verbally tortured him, Jeez. telling him how he was going to kill my father, how he was going to kill my mother. He couldn't live without her. He'd rather die. All these things. He made my brother write a suicide note. I guess before he tied him up. Then after, just before 2.30, he went upstairs. In the meantime, my brother, literally at that time, my brother was escaping. Yeah. Um, as soon as he got out, my brother escaped through a basement window. Oh, wow. To run to a neighbor's house. And before he was able to escape, he heard the gunshot. So he shot my father. My brother said he heard words exchanged in French. It was a French community. Okay. And so he said, we don't, I don't know what he said, but mm -hmm. they exchanged words in French. My dad was sleeping, sound asleep with my mom. And then he shot and killed my father almost immediately after he woke up. My brother escaped, called 911 from a neighbor's house. Keep in mind, this is January. So it's like minus, I don't know, 30, let's say. My brother ran there. And the house that he actually called 911 from is the, uh, they're the Bowdoin residence. And I actually call them mom and dad now. So okay. I'll get to that. Yeah. So uh, that call went in at 2.48, let's say, a.m. Okay. By the time he got over there. And in the meantime, now my, my mom's awake, obviously. Yeah. And he never does anything other than, like, he does get physical with my mom, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything okay. more than yeah. that to her. So he slapped her and he had hit her too. I'm sleeping and my bedroom You is don't hear any of this? Mm -mm, no. Wow, because this is hours. Yeah. So I wake up shortly after that though. Okay. And I wake up and I get out of the my bedroom and I go to push my parents' bedroom door open, but I'm met with resistance. I don't know if my mom was standing there or if he was standing there, but I couldn't open the door really out more than a crack. And my younger brother, uh, he had just turned five a couple days prior. Okay. standing in the hallway and he's just in tears, yeah. like screaming, crying. It's literally out of a horror film. For sure. To paint a picture of how he was standing there. It's one of the most disturbing images for me to relive. Well, it must be burned in you. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Yeah. So I met with resistance and I run down the hallway and I go to call 911. But we live in a rural community, so it wasn't 911 at the time. You had to call a seven-digit number for help. What? Yeah. So I had to call seven digits, but I totally forgot. Of course and you did. called 911. I actually don't even dial 911. I try to, I dial 011 because the, I'm just in a frantic, yeah. right? Yeah. And I see him running towards me. So I drop the phone and I run immediately downstairs and I go right into my brother's bedroom. And I'm thinking, where is he? What's going yeah. on? I don't even really know who it is. Like, I know this man. He's been yeah. in my house plenty of times. Yeah. He's given us gifts, like me personally, gifts before. So I'm like, who is it? You know, my mind's racing. I'm standing behind the door and 
I hear them come downstairs. And, and anyway, he tells my mom to find me. And he's flipping out because he can't find my brother. Right. Now I know why he's flipping out, yes. right? So he can't find either of us. He finds me. Then he tells my mom that she has to find my older brother or he would make her choose which child he was going to kill, me or my brother. Oh my gosh. So now we're going through the house. I don't find my brother. He's gone. Yes, he's still at the neighbor's house getting help. Yes. So now in the meantime, they had called for police, for the RCMP to come at 2.45. The neighbor, Ken, who I call dad, calls them back at 3.30, because it's probably about 3.30 now. Mm-hmm. And he calls them back and says, where are you? And they say, we're five minutes out. Okay. We're still on our way because there's no rural police and they're being dispatched from another town. This is wild. So we're waiting. But that initial call at 2.30 went to a 911 dispatcher. Okay. She then called a RCMP officer. Mm -hmm. He calls his superior to tell him what's going on or the, I can't remember, the 911 dispatcher does. He says, go out to his young, I don't know how to really say it, the person below him. He okay. tells him, go yep. out, assess the situation, and let me know when you get there. And in the meantime, he goes back to sleep. Oh, my gosh. He falls asleep. He doesn't get out of bed. He doesn't call his superior, which is supposed to at this point. You guys are hours in. They've known for quite some time. It's been, tw- you're, you're literally being held hostage, and he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. And fall wow. asleep. Okay. Cool. So at 3.45, the uh, 9-1-1. 3.45 now. Now. It's been 2.30 since your brother got to a neighbor's. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So 3.45, they call my mom, mm-hmm. the house. Mm-hmm. They assess the situation. She can't really talk. They're asking one-sided questions, so she yeah. can't answer. Are you safe? Is your husband She doesn't know. She literally says, I don't know. I don't know if my kids are safe. I don't know because we're downstairs now at this point, right? So because he he makes my mom leave my younger brother and I downstairs and takes her upstairs. Okay. So we have to stay down there. So we fall asleep downstairs in my brother's room. I wake up about 4.30. I come upstairs. At 4 o'clock, my mom was shot in the left shoulder. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... But she's alive. She's alive. The 911 dispatcher tells her at the end of their conversation, the RCMP are on their way. They're going to come and help you. She hangs up the phone. Yeah. That's the last time she talked to them. So she believes help's on her way. Mm-hmm. So I come upstairs. I go to push my bedroom door open because they're now in my bedroom. And I go to push the door open and I hear my mom say, why do you have to shoot me? Or what I think she says is, why do you have to shoot me? You already shot me in the eye. And I like, this is my statement to the police. Yeah. And I only found out literally like a month ago that she probably was saying, you shot me in the arm. Mm. No one ever corrected me. I've been told literally my whole life that she was shot once. And she was shot twice. Yes. So, so then now I push the door open. I go run into my parents' room to yeah. call 911. So my parents had kind of been prepping me. And have you me. seen that your father has been shot? Mm-mm. You never saw? Okay. No. So he's actually right beside me on the bed okay. with the sheet over him. Okay. So I'm not clued in at this point whatsoever right. that he's even beside me. Right. So I get on the bed. I call 911. And my parents were 
prepping me in not in a scary way. Okay. Our life was really, really normal as anyone's could be. For right? sure. Like it was loving family. It was just this man became obsessed with my mom. Mm-hmm. Right. So they told me, my dad would say to me, if anything ever happens, you know, you call for help and let them know that you're Morris Paul's daughter and that I'm a volunteer firefighter. They'll know where you live. Just tell them that. And my mom would say the same thing, but not in a scary way. Like in the way of like, don't talk to strangers. Right. Yeah. Just my parents used to have, I had like a code word I had to say to anybody ever trying to help us. So like if we, if it's truly somebody that's meant to help you, this is the code word that you say. I believe it was cornball. My maiden name was corny. So they, they always wanted to have systems set in place that if let's say for instance, they needed to send somebody to school to pick me up and it wasn't my parents. We didn't have cell phones and stuff back then. So if anybody was ever there and said, your parents sent me, they would have to give me like this access code. If right. it, no matter who it was, if it was family or a friend, even if it was a familiar person I had to know. So like, I can understand that they were not doing that out of a fear state. They were doing as if, should anything ever happen, here's what you will do. Right. Okay. So that's thoughtful. Yeah. And I do that, right? With my own children too. I say those things, but I don't use a code word and I like that idea. (laughs) I'll use a different one. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Cornball's maybe not the one. Right. So then I'm calling for help. At one point, a 911 dispatcher hangs up on me. What time is it? It's anywhere between 4.30 and 6. And your mother is still in the room. room, She's been shot and she's still fighting. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I look over to my dad and I think, what What are you doing? Wake up. And I start shaking him. He doesn't, obviously. And my younger brother, he goes over to the side of the bed and he sees my dad. I don't. I never see him at all. Although I'm literally sitting right beside him. And so then my mother at 6 a.m., the man shoots my mother. Okay. And the bullet shoots her in the back of her neck. And so she's killed almost instantly. And so she's lying in the hallway right in front of me. I can see her. And so she just lies there. And I'm just calling for help, asking for an ambulance still. Yeah. I'm asking for three ambulance because I don't know where my brother is. And I think he's in the house still. And yeah, there was several calls put in. And then I think, oh my gosh, what's he doing in there? They're in my bedroom. He's in my room. And I have no idea what he's going to do. I don't know if he's going to come out. So my younger brother and I hide on the opposite side of my parents' bed so that he can't see us. Yeah. But he's in there. And then I hear a loud bang. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, he knocked over my my shelf. Like I thought he had knocked over a shelf. He didn't. Uh, he committed suicide and shot himself in the head. In your bedroom? In my bedroom. So he died approximately 625. Okay. Now the RCMP are, there's one RCMP officer or two, I should say. I think it's one cruiser set up outside at 530. They are now instructed by the RCMP officer who fell asleep. He tells those two officers to go get my brother from the neighbor's house and bring him to a town that's about 10 minutes away and um, bring him in for questioning. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, okay. While we're being held hostage, they want to question my older brother. Oh my goodness. And then at seven o'clock, there is a officer who is brought to our house. Okay. At 7.15, 
the emergency response team comes. Oh, wow. Outside of our house. Five hours into this, they have arrived. At 7.15. Okay, so they had set up, I think, at like 6 or 6.30 in the town next to us. No idea why. We don't know why it was set up there, why it wasn't set up within our own town. There's a community hall. Yeah. They went to the fire station. It's not even that there's there was no police station at the other town. They just set up there instead. Have you ever gotten answers as to why? There's a whole inquiry into okay. it. So that's why, like, I know a lot of the details. Yeah, for sure. Um, from the inquiry, nothing really done well, from it. First of all, I am immensely sorry that happened to you. I cannot, um, like, that's just. So a they didn't whole come in at trauma. 7.15, though. No. That was when they were set up outside. That was just when they were set up. So they came in at 8.35. 8.35. So you and your brother were crouched down, hiding. hiding waiting for them to come in. How was your brother during all of this? Because you're now the older sibling. Do you remember at all? Uh, you... He was just beside me. I feel like we were both pretty quiet. Pretty numb at that yeah. point. Yeah, we didn't know what was going on, just more scared. At what point did you figure out what had happened? We got to the hospital in Winnipeg, and then they took us, after they like examined us to make sure we were okay and we weren't hurt, they took us into a room with her family, and that's when I finally got to see my older brother for the first time. And knew that he was alive. And knew he was alive. How old was he when that happened? He was just shy of his 18th birthday. Okay. So he was quite a bit older than all of you, but mm -hmm. that's still, <laughs> that's a lot to happen to one family. Right. And then they told us. And then they told you. And I said, before, right before they told us, I said, I'm not going to cry. Yeah. Why? I, I don't know why I said that. I have so no idea. I just said, I'm not going to cry. And well, the minute they said it, I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. So. So I know that you have become, like so much has come from this. So much has changed in your life. Obviously, you were then like moved. You Where mm -hmm. did you and your family end up? So your he, siblings. I'll say he did one good thing before he killed himself. Uh, he allowed my mom to write a note. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so my, she knew she was going to die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because he had her, like, explain what where his state of mind was and everything, too. Okay. So she wrote that she wanted us to come to St. Catharines because that's where my mother was from. Okay. We lived with my mom's sister. Okay. For about a year, I lived there. And then I moved in with my grandmother. My younger brother continued to stay there. Okay. My older brother was 18, so he yeah. moved off on his own. And I lived with my grandmother. I went back to St. Estache. That's the little town that I'm from in Manitoba. Every single summer, loved it. I would spend the whole summer there. Oh. So I just really wanted to be there. Like my heart always called me home. Yeah. I'll still say home. And my husband's like, this is your home. Yeah. I'm like, you know, what? and he knows what I mean. Like, so I just has a place in my heart. Of course. And so then... um, I moved back when I was 14. My aunt, my mom's sister, like essentially the middle of the day, but let's say the middle of the night, shipped me off without telling my grandmother, her own mother. Oh, wow. And let me go run away <gasps> to Manitoba. Oh, my goodness. So, and I was not a troubled kid like that. I went, like yeah. she let me, I packed yeah. a bag and my grandma had no idea. And later we'll find out that the reason was, as long as I wasn't living at my grandma's, my grandma couldn't question anymore where my aunt was getting money from. Oh. So my aunt had went behind everyone's back. I found out. So this happened. I was 14. Mm -hmm. I did not find this out until my 18th birthday because she allowed me to pick her up. We were going to the bank. 
And she told me on the way that she had spent all of our inheritance from my parents. Oh my gosh, no. Yeah. So she was, I guess, because you were underage, that it would have been held in trust. Right. And so a judge actually released it to her in St. Catharines and it wasn't supposed to happen that way. And she had spent my younger brother's money as well. Oh. At the time she was going through bankruptcy. Okay. Like, I mean, at the time when she told me, so she had already spent all the money. She is already gone. All gone. And, And still, right? Yeah, so then I moved to Manitoba. I stayed there. I lived with some family. And then I moved in with uh, who I call mom and dad now, Ken and Debbie Bowden. Um, Bowden? Like my Bowden? Yeah. Is it the same spelling? Uh, No. Okay. Yeah, different spelling. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And then actually my... I'd say adopted brothers, Shane and Shaden. Stop. That's hilarious. And then I got my sister, Sheena, who is my best friend. Oh, I love that. Yeah, like growing up, she was my best friend. We've literally known each other since birth. That is so incredible. How did it come to be that they ended up being mom and dad? Did they they just take you in? Yeah, like they were my parents' best friends. They grew up with my dad. Like they literally were across the field from us where I grew up. Yeah. That's a house that Carson went to, my brother. Yep. They're just amazing people. And literally, I just, that was it. I called, I started calling them mom and dad. I don't even know how long. I don't even think I lived there very long. And I started calling them mom and dad. That's very sweet. Yeah. So so glad you had that. Yeah. My kids call them Mamere and Papere in French, grandmother and grandfather, right? So yeah, they're my family. Remarkable. Um, Yeah. So then I lived there. I moved back when I was 18. My grandfather wasn't doing well. I wasn't Mm going to stay. I was coming back literally because I was going to get my inheritance and then go to school, right? And obviously things change. (laughs) And then I lived here. I met my now husband. Yep. We started dating and that's probably why I stayed, right? I didn't go back. And then when I was 20 years old, my life was rocked again. How can this keep happening? (laughs) Are you kidding? I thought this was done. No. So my older brother committed suicide. Oh my gosh. Was it, I don't even know how, I don't even want to ever say it's like from something like I believe that those who commit suicide, like there's so much mental illness existing there, but coming from so much trauma, was that what really, like, did he ever really recover? There's no way. Like for years, I just, at the time I thought what so many people do, oh, he's doing drugs and oh, it's drugs. You know, that's, where his mental mind is. But but you know what? I've talked to so, I had um, Alexis Haynes when she was on my podcast and she talked about the core of almost all addiction is trauma. So like people use drugs and alcohol to mask a pain. It's not like when when we're treating an issue, like go to the root, like the root of it is trauma. So it doesn't matter if he was using drugs or alcohol. He literally had his parents murdered, was held hostage and wasn't heard when he needed to be. And that is a trauma that you carry. He was actually accused by the police of working with him because he escaped. Because he escaped. Yeah. So that's why they were questioning him in the that night in the early instead of actually saving your mother yeah so there was a whole inquiry uh, to see if they could save my mother I'm not that person to ever be like oh the police or you know the system but it's like it's real I'm only realizing as an adult like how many times I cannot tell you how many the actual number of failures that the system has had not including 
failing my brother Mm -hmm. by not giving him the proper access to post-traumatic care, uh, we were given like play therapy. I knew what they were doing. Yeah, I didn't, I'm not gonna, oh, I need help. I didn't do that. I just played with the dolls like they wanted me to. Right. I was normal, you know what I mean? I'm like thinking, what do they think I'm gonna do? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, and, and that did he still live me. back in Manitoba when no, all of this? My happened? older brother lived in St. Catharines. Okay, so this is very local for you again. Yeah. So and that was honestly that was the hardest for me. Out of it all. Yeah. Losing my brother. Oh, I could sorry. make sense in a strange way of my parents. I could pull a positive from it, trying mm-hmm. to find. I know you don't believe like everything happens for a reason. That saying, yeah. it's a tool that I've come to be able to use. It's not that. It gave me the tool to stop and yeah. think, okay, what if this didn't happen? Or what has come from it happening? This is my whole thing. It's, yeah, I think what happens when people say everything happens for a reason, it causes a lot of like repeated trauma in the way that we think of the bad things that happen. But I really believe out of almost so many people and so many stories now, good comes out of everything. It can, it really, really can. And your brother sadly didn't get to get there. He didn't get to experience that, but you're doing something entirely different. How has it been for you? How are you using that trauma and that experience to make it something good? Like how has it manifested into what you do now? So I was literally a year ago in January, I was sitting upstairs in my house working and I came downstairs and I said to my husband, I said, I know exactly what it is. I'm just going to be me. Like I'm talking about business, right? Like I'm just going to be me. And he's like, well, yeah, I thought that the whole time. I'm like, what? Why wouldn't you say that to me? Right? So It was one of those things that I thought, like, I'm just going to be me, like who I am, like right to the root, right? Like, I'm going to go back to literally my roots. Like, I am Métis. That's Mm -hmm. who I am. I'm going to just start advocating and sharing more of who I am as a whole, right? So I started doing that. And literally, it's, you know, everything falls into place when you start to just open yourself up to it. And within a month, I had received a call from one of the commissioners to be a part of the national inquiry. Amazing for the indigenous people. Yeah. So I had actually testified back in 2017 in Winnipeg. Okay. So I had testified. So I had already opened up that door and shared my story. I've always been open with it and shared my story openly. This was a new level, right? Like I would be a part of NFAC. So that was the National Family Advisory Circle. So I would get to actually be alongside other family members and really realize how I'm not alone. Of course. Yeah. And we do have a lot of Americans that are listening as well that might not understand what has happened in Canada. Can you speak into why the National Inquiry happened and kind of like some of the history between Canada and the Indigenous people? Right. So there is a lot of history there. There is a lot of history. I love that they're actually teaching it in school now. When we actually went to go see, have you seen Frozen 2 yet? Yes. Okay. So we went to go see Frozen 2 and my kids and I were like sitting in the car afterwards and my daughter just like, we started talking about how well they spoke into the indigenous people and how we learned that they had actually like gone and consulted with them and stuff like that. I don't know what indigenous groups they spoke to, but my daughter started like talking about the fact about the schools in Canada and the, what's happened to the indigenous people and like how many people have died. And I was like, they're teaching this in school. She was like, oh yes. She's like, it's, it's a really big thing. And I was like, so proud to hear that that's become part of like their education and like the history that is the true history 
not the history that they, we were all, I don't remember ever learning that. We were no. taught a completely different story. Right. So it's still not obviously all there. It's not all there. At all. No. <laughs> not even close. So we have such a long way to come still. Mm -hmm. But within Canada, I can't even give a number as to how many missing and murdered Indigenous women there are because the number that's out there is not the right number. There are cases where Indigenous women, they're unsolved mm -hmm. or they, I guess they're unsolved still, but they're not given, they're not saying that they were murdered. What's the public number that's Ooh, been said? Do you I, even know? No. Because I know it's big. It's not, it's big, but it's not that big. Um, In terms of children though, it's, is it not like 30,000? Oh, so that you're talking with residential schools. But yes. So, so is that different? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is just women and girls. Okay. And the, so it's actually women and girls within Canada. That's what the inquiry is about. Okay. And then the residential schools. It's a whole other story. I can't really speak into that because that's not my personal. Of course. I can. I can totally. I know a lot of it from myself, from doing mm -hmm. research. But mm -hmm. again, that's not um, my truth. Yes. And I feel like someone, that's their story to say. I 100% respect that. So the inquiry was for just missing women and girls mm -hmm. in Canada. Yes. Indigenous. Yes. And the LGBTQIA community as well. Okay. So that was just within Canada. And we were given the opportunity to have this national inquiry because mm -hmm. it had been called on to for so many years. No answers were being given. A lot of the problems is has to do with the history of Canada, right? Mm -hmm. And then the word genocide comes yes. out and that takes over. Yeah. And no one is listening to the calls of justice. There's 231 calls to justice and everyone's so wrapped up in the media about this word genocide. At the end of the day, like you cannot argue this. I feel that way. Other people might feel differently, but when you break it down, yep, it sounds a whole lot like Genocide. genocide. Yeah. Right. So, and I'm not a political person. I'm not going to get into no, that. It's I'm my not own either, personal but I still think that this is your right? story. And like, I think what people need to remember is uh, we can't really deny the privilege that we have in the history that has brought us here. And it's not saying that Canada is, as a whole is bad or that we're not making good from it now. But like, there's a lot of things that have happened that were not so great. Right. There was a lot that happened. There's a lot of missing people. There's a lot of injustices. And I find over time, there's also been a lot of like opinions that have happened around like Indigenous communities and stuff. Like in your opinion, what are some things that are so falsified in terms of like Indigenous communities? Oh, I've heard it all. Like, there's just a lot, like, I've heard some, but I, I haven't lived it. So I wouldn't even want to like speak into it. Right. So within my own community, I'd like to say like, quote, a white yeah. person saying like, oh, that, that Indian yeah. um, and saying dirty Indian or that everyone's drunks. Yes. Or, oh, that I've heard it all. The native yeah. is coming out in you. You wow. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So like, and that's. I lived in a Métis community, you know? Yeah. So, and then also like the jokes, the jokes are there and it's, you know, now it's normal to hear those jokes, but why is it normal? Why you know, I just normal? ask those questions and, and yeah, like even the language, right? Like I had done a post about the use of a Aboriginal and 
not everyone agreed with me and that's fine. And then is Aboriginal good or bad? Like, do you, like that was, I don't know. I don't ever. Right. So same thing. So I don't now learned I indigenous. Indigenous. Yeah. Cause that's seems to be the more adopted word. Right. To use and now. then a native is, yep. is still in foundation names yep. and stuff like that. So I just now, after having a, a conversation with someone who commented, I think it's just important that we use the language that that person prefers. I 100% agree. I had an entire podcast episode with Jenny and she was talking about a lot of the things around language. And like, we always want to justify why we've said things, but it's okay to be wrong. Like I have inappropriately used the word tribe. Like I didn't even, but until somebody said, you know what, that actually hurts those communities. Like they don't actually love hearing that or like spirit animal would be another one. And I was like, oh gosh, like, didn't know. Now I have the chance to learn. Right. And I think that that's what's so amazing about human experience in meeting other people and hearing their stories is like, it is maybe important that we don't make jokes. And it is maybe important that we look at the history of like, let's not just like call like the indigenous people like drunks and stuff. That's not what they are as a whole. They have a, a rich history in a lot of pain. And again, let's look at the core thing. There's a lot of trauma there. There's a right. lot of missing people. And I don't think that it helps anybody to call these communities drunks or anything less than the rest of society. They are people of worth. They were here first. And there's a lot of work to be done. There is a right. lot of work to be done. Yeah. And I'm just learning myself too, right? Because I was essentially ripped from my community. Yes. Even though I got to go home, I still didn't get to enjoy all the cultural things that I had grown up doing, right? So I had it all around me. Like I said, my father was very proud. That was the other thing. When I was asked to be part of the national inquiry and be on the family advisory circle, I felt like a fraud. Because you were no longer living in that community Yeah, anymore. and then also I kept reiterating, my That's, mom wasn't Indigenous. Talk my about imposter syndrome. Indig- right? But, yeah, but it doesn't It doesn't matter. No, like because your mother I only wasn't? realized this past year, I'm the child. I'm yes. the girl in that yep. inquiry. Because I was the generation that should have been stripped of all cultural knowing. True. Right? So I would be the person that they so badly once wanted to no longer know a part of their heritage. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. they, I mean, the Canadian government. Yep. So I'm getting to learn all that now. And now I'm getting to to teach that to my children, to other people. And I'm still learning too, right? Like, so I I mean, that that makes you so beautifully unique though, because you exist, you've existed in both sides. Yeah. You are also a victim of a murder to your family. Your father was Indigenous, your mother was not. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. The police didn't come to help you. Like you are still have indigenous roots. You were still living in an indigenous community and you were not helped for over five hours. Like that is like the takeaway when you're listening to all of this is like, they're so, and like that wasn't that long ago. No. Do you feel like things have changed in terms of like how first responders and stuff has happened? Or do you think that that's still an issue in some of these communities? It's still an issue. So that's one of the, uh, well, plenty. There's actually a broken down a few um, calls to justice within that, right? So having the RCMP, actually having more Indigenous officers as well, getting to know the communities, actually having rural 
I don't want to say stations, but places set up because there is no police station Mm -hmm. close by, right? So, and also they need to break down all those barriers that have been put up within the justice system of their beliefs of Indigenous people. He was a drunk. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the man who murdered my parents, he was a drunk. He was a known criminal, but guess what? He murdered your father. He was Indigenous. Yes. So, you know, it's just one of those things they want to say, just another one, right? So, and I'm not saying that, obviously, but. No, but it's the same. I don't know if you follow Sean King on Mm -hmm. Instagram. He speaks a lot into the Black communities in the States and how basically even this week, there was a paramedic who was Black helping a white woman and they basically like arrested him for assault and he was a paramedic helping her. Oh my gosh. Like the assumptions around race, they we don't think that they're going to change people's lives, but they actually cause death and disruption in such huge, huge ways. And the more that we're willing to sit down and listen to the real truths around these things, like you say like, yes, this man, he was indigenous and he was a drunk, but that your father was also indigenous and not, and he was the one who was murdered. Right. Like, let's be honest here. Like you were children that were held hostage by a man, but like you were also the indigenous. Like it's not like that just because there's one doesn't mean that is all. Like that's really, really unfair. The same thing happened with the history and terrorism, right? How much racism happened in airports and stuff after that because it was like blanketed across these yeah. entire communities and it and it breaks my heart right it really really does and it takes a lot of conscious effort to unlearn a lot of the fear that media has instilled yeah absolutely it really does yeah and it takes listening it really does take listening and being willing to hear some of the uncomfortable things of our history and some of the uncomfortable things that are current, like things that are currently happening, right? Yeah, so, but it's still being denied, which still is Still being like, denied. And I'm still learning, right, yeah. too? So it's one of those things that I'm trying to learn and not, and advocate, but not push it down people's throats. No, uh, honestly, I think that that's, I think that that's the best way. There's been so much that I've learned throughout the years. And I, and I think that everyone waits to be at a destination of like, I know it now, and now I can teach it. And mm-hmm. the fact is we're constantly humans that are learning yeah. and we're learning from each other. And I think it's okay to like, in the process of learning, share that, like share, oh, I learned this today and this is something new for me, or this is something I've just taken on. Like who I was two years ago is not who I am today. And I'm okay with that because she wasn't aware. Like she didn't know what she knows now. And there's going to be things, I'm going to be a totally different person another two years from now. So are you. We're going to have so many conversations that change us and that help us and that lend it like to our future selves, right? We are constantly evolving and changing if we're willing to be wrong and if we're willing to listen. Yeah. And I think that that is like at the core, like I just really respect other people in their experiences. If somebody told me like, it actually hurts me when you use the word, like my tribe of people, I'm not going to use that word anymore. Or I might do it by accident, but I'm going to really remember to stop you. I'm going to break that habit. I'm going to make an effort to break the habits. If I know those things are going to hurt. That's actually come up for me too. I've wondered that like, I- am I going to be too sensitive if I bring that up? You know, because then you you question. I think, that that I think it's all in the way that we approach everything. There's a lot of times that I've brought up social issues online. And I think it always comes from a place of, you know what, this is, a, this is something that I've experienced. This is something that I've learned through. And now I'm sharing that experience with you. I think when we come online and we are like, you need to change this and you need to do this and you need to adopt this new 
narrative, that makes it really difficult as opposed to this is something I've adopted. Mm-hmm. This is something I'm doing. I've learned that there are people that are hurt by these words and they there are people who are hurt by me talking about a diet and or talking about this and that. And like, I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to change. And like, I think in that shared experience, that's where people grasp from. Like, you're right. I also have learned that. And I also have experienced that. I think it's just in the way that we use language online. Yeah. That makes it more approachable. But I also think that because you have such a voice in that space, that it's so important that you do speak and that I i don't know that you have capacity to for all of it. And I really encourage people, like, I don't think everyone has to be a speaker on everything. I don't talk about politics because it stresses me out. Oh, no, this is out. like 100%. So back to like saying everything happens yeah. for a reason type thing. I do. I feel totally comfortable knowing that I am their voice now. Yes. It's one of those things like, and I'm just coming into really advocating for proper post-traumatic yes. care. Yes. Um, for your brother's sake. For my brother, for myself, yeah. my yeah. my younger brother. Like there shouldn't be a timeline on no. that. Why is there a timeline? And why isn't that readily available? I'm Post-trauma sorry. Post-trauma is literally the rest of your life. Your like whole it, life. It's your and whole life. Ca- I'm sorry. Counseling, therapy, yeah. that all needs to be easily accessible. Tell me about it. It just took me six months to get my daughter into a therapy session. It is not easily accessible and it's really, really difficult. And that's hard nowadays. It's hard. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. That's it like is. being told I'll get back to you in three weeks once yeah. the doctors talk, if you can get in for an appointment and then setting it up. That's what I've personally been told. Yeah. Like, it's like, that shouldn't be a thing. You it know? really shouldn't. It, no, I 100% agree. Mental health should be looked at just like physical health is. We can call and we can get in within 24 hours. Like it should be really treated that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And I really hope that because we live in a free healthcare system country, that hopefully that becomes more considered in the future. Like I I, I can only hope, right? I right. really only can. So I have to ask you as we kind of like come to a close here. First of all, thank you for sharing your story. I know that that is like the tip of the iceberg for a lot oh, of what you're doing. Thank you for doing. giving me the platform. In that letter that your mother gave you, mm-hmm. is there anything that you've really carried with you? And where did that letter ever go? Uh, I have. I don't you have, have the original copy. Yeah. She just said she loved us all. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. So That is enough, eh? Yeah. She said she loved us. One thing that stuck with me was she had said she didn't know if we were alive. Oh, wow. So she was writing to us as if she like had hoped we were still alive. Yes. And so for me, I struggle, but also it gives me the strength to do this now, to advocate, to speak, to share the story, the injustice, that it's real, that it happens. And her words of not knowing, I need it to be known to everyone else that Mm -hmm. I am here. You are alive. And I'm alive and that I will tell her story and my brother's and my father's story. That's Um, amazing. Yeah, so I mean, I there feel was, like I'm just hopefully getting started, right, with sharing. There was five members of your family and two of you stand alive. And I think that what you're doing with that is so incredible. I just think it's really amazing. I'm so glad that they have called on you to be part of the inquiry. I think that it's really important that you are and uh, that you continue to use your voice. And I know how uncomfortable that can be. And, I, and I'm just really proud of you. I think that's Thank really, you. really cool. So 
Tell everyone where they can find you and where they can kind of like get to know you a little bit more as well. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook, Fallon Farinacci. Spell that. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> but it's F-A-L-L-O-N. Yes, just like Jimmy. Just like um, Jimmy. F-A-R-I-N-A-C-C-I. And then I do have a website too. So it's FallonFarinacci.com. Amazing. <laughs> She's also like an amazing mom of three. So Go and check her out. And I just really can't thank you enough for sharing your story. This is one of those that I think is going to stick with me for quite some time. And and I hope it's done that the same for everybody else listening too. So thank you. Thank you. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.